Online communities, classroom culture, and personal relationships have something in common. Whether it's forming a strong emotional bond, feeling included and accepted, or having an attachment to others, feeling like we belong makes us happy. Ever wonder why? Join me, Dr. Eileen Winokur, for my bi-weekly podcast, Journeys to Belonging, as I discuss my personal and professional experiences with belonging and interview educators and others as they share their stories of belonging. At the end of every episode, I'll offer advice about how we can all feel like we belong. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging podcast. On this episode, I have another Twitter EDU, but she's not just any other Twitter EDU. She's a special Twitter EDU. I've been in touch with her probably for the last, I don't know, within the last year. I can't remember who connected us, but I've learned so much from her and I respect her so much. Uh, she's outspoken about her beliefs, uh, which I really enjoy uh, hearing and listening to her point of view. Um, she's inclusive and she has this kind of direct honesty that I find so refreshing. So welcome Victoria Thompson and thank you for being on my podcast today. Yes, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I really didn't say too much about you. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do, where you are, whatever you want to tell us about. Yeah, so just a basic background about me. I was, uh, well, I guess I started my journey as a fifth and sixth grade uh, math and science teacher in a suburb of Charleston, South Carolina. And then my then girlfriend, now wife, was a member or is a member now um, of the Air Force. Um, so she was stationed at the Charleston base. We met in Charleston and then we got the call to move over to the Seattle area. So that's why we're here. Um, and I was a tech consultant full time for a little bit. It just wasn't a fantastic fit. Um, so I decided to go full time back into schools for curriculum and also for tech initiatives and then left my last institution because of covert racism. So now I wow. am I'm a tech instructional coach um, and STEM coach for a literal anti-racism and equity organization. So that is very exciting, uh, but just a little bit about me. Yeah, that is really exciting. And hopefully we'll get into some of those topics that you mentioned, uh, because I, I think they're really important. And some of the reasons why uh, you connected with me about belonging and sort of finding your place in the world. So the first question I always like to ask my podcast guests is if I mention the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing or first things that come to mind? So for me, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind in that kind of space is figuring out what belonging means. And for me, and also for like, you know, my colleagues and the students and the teachers that I, you know, kind of work with and I supervise and things like that. Belonging to me means that everybody is included. It means inclusive language. Um, it also means that we are intentionally creating spaces for folks to be their authentic selves. 
It also means that we're being aware of things that, you know, like for example, in the virtual environment, if I'm conducting a class or if I'm conducting a meeting, I am now a guest in their home. It is not appropriate for me to ask for somebody to turn on their camera. You know, it's not appropriate for me to have language that, that specifically says find a quiet space. I mean, even for me in my house, like it's just me, my wife and my dog, but it, there, there are no quiet spaces sometimes because, you <laughs> yeah. know, Ren, who is my dog, might see like the, the like some truck go by and then he's barking or, you know, Courtney might be conducting a meeting in her office on the other side of the house. So even little things like that, yeah. we have to be aware of the language we use, the actions we do, because we want to promote togetherness instead of divisiveness. Yeah. And that's what belonging means to me. Yeah. Yeah, the whole idea of really tuning into others, tuning mm -hmm. into their situation and not only watching what we're saying, but really understanding what they might be dealing with and being able to, to um, sort of coordinate what we're saying or what we're asking them to do. And yeah, the online space is, is really difficult. We, we've both seen the posts from teachers in schools where they're required to uh, turn on their cameras to, for accountability, attendance, and things like that. And, and I know there's been some back and forth about that. Um, but I agree with you that we really need to be aware of the fact that not everybody is comfortable doing that. Um, right. So in your, in your background information to me, you mentioned that at one point you had uh, a colleague, I, I think it was in South Carolina, another, uh, an instructional coach, and um, you felt safe, I believe you were a teacher at the time, you felt safe talking to her. I'd love mm -hmm. to explore that a little bit because the idea of safety and feeling safe really is directly related to the whole um, idea of belonging. So how did that feel? What was it like? And why did you feel safe? And why was that important? Yeah. So if I think back to my time in South Carolina, because I've interacted and have kind of like dealt with, right, like two instructional coaches. One was more of like a coordinator than a coach. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really get on all that well, uh, just because of virtue of the nature of the environment that I was put in, you know, the new classes that were being developed. It's, like, I just don't think that it was a good fit for me in that space. Though when I was teaching in South Carolina, I definitely found solace in the instructional coach there. Um, now that I'm a coach, I know what her duties were. But when I was a teacher, I felt like the lines were maybe blurred a little bit. I was like, hey, we've got an instructional coach, but like she hasn't observed in my classroom. Like, mm -hmm. you know, she hasn't given me feedback. So that area was still very blurry for me. But just from the aspect of being available for teachers as a sounding board, mm -hmm. I really, really appreciated, you know, she was always available for us. She made herself available in that space. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe just for me, like as a teacher, then perhaps I was too new to understand just like what, you know, opportunities and also what kind of um, feedback she could have given me in that space mm -hmm. from the content perspective but purely just from like the human to human perspective. Yes. It was really nice to have an administrator there that cared about us. Like that, yeah. like that was huge. Yeah. And it's, it seemed that somebody who you could trust because you were sharing 
things in terms of your classroom and so forth. So the idea of trust and, and that information possibly not traveling to other, you know, that there was a sense of confidentiality. You didn't hear about what you were talking about from her to others. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like that helps fault. us. Yeah. 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 That vault is, is really, really important. I know uh, Brene Brown talks about it. It was the first time I heard yeah. it mentioned, but it is really important. Um, so, uh, it sounds like your new workplace, because I know that you had mentioned, in fact, even when you were introducing yourself and, and the blog that you recently posted about what happened and the reason why you left your last workplace. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that and then sort of introduce your new workplace and how you feel it, it's different. What is right. different about it? So that whole transition. So at my last workplace, which I loved, loved, loved working there, it was really difficult because when all the protests started happening because of George Floyd, mm -hmm. there was a statement that was released through my school that they stand with Black lives, they stand with the Black community, you know, they just stand with Black faculty and students, which I'm not active on Facebook, but my wife totally is. So, so I had no idea that this was happening until she busted into this room and was like with her phone look at what's going on at your school oh right? my gosh so we went on facebook and they had made that statement but then ex-faculty you know uh, prior students and just general members of the community were making comments about how like no you know this is a performative statement because you have showed time and time again that you do not stand with us wow. so that was really tough for me because a space where i felt like i was very safe of course was being exposed as a, as a space that wasn't. And I appreciate that, that um, exposing element, but that yeah. was a tough time for me because then I had to make a decision as to whether or not I was going to be safe in that space moving forward when I had felt totally safe before. So yeah. that evening there was a meeting, uh, it was kind of an impromptu meeting where our head of schools, which is like a principal before an independent school, um, made a comment that you know there was gonna be a meeting to address the comments on Facebook and everybody was welcome. I didn't wanna go because this had happened way, way, way before I started working there. Mm -hmm. And when I say this, I go into more detail in my blog, but there was an ex-faculty member that revealed that she was let go for wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt to school. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, at first it started as administrative leave and then all the transgressions that happened afterward led her to just kind of be like, I'm out. Like I'm out oh, of here. Wow. Wow. So I didn't want to go to the meeting because it happened way before I started working there. But Courtney really, and Courtney's my wife, she really yeah. pressed me to go because she said that if like things had come out in that meeting, I would get more clarity on the situation. And mm -hmm. then if I did not feel comfortable in that moment, I could leave, right? I, I could seek other opportunities for employment. Sure. Yeah. So I went to that meeting. And at first it was just excuses upon excuses. So mm. they talked about logos and how Black Lives Matter isn't allowed because it's a logo. And I get that on a conceptual level, but I also wear stuff with logos all the time. Like you can see from my background, I'm a big Disney fan. You know, I wear <laughs> Disney stuff to school uh, quite frequently. I even wear it to my current workplace. And then on top of that, I had logos, phrases, you know, things all around my classroom. So. It would have been an acceptable excuse if there was legitimate follow-up is mm -hmm. how i you know deemed it sure. so then of course folks were calling him out for that and then he went on to say that he can't allow black lives matter because 
in his mind, it's, it, it was seen as a political statement. And again, that opens up discourse as to one, what's political and what's not. To right. me, like humanity as a black woman and, you know, for the black community, that's not political. But, you know, we have staff members and faculty members that have gay flags, you know, in their classroom. They have allyship, you know, things in their classroom. Um, you know, civics teachers would have political statements in their classrooms mm -hmm. decades back. So that opens up conversation as to what's political and what's not. And I was about to ask, and then he said that if we allowed Black Lives Matter content, we would allow Make America Great Again content. And that's when I was like, absolutely. Ooh, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't re exactly remember what happened when I was speaking back. Uh, Courtney was watching me the whole time. And apparently, like, I took my glasses off at one point. Oh, God. You meant business. At one point. Oh, like, goodness. I was pointing at the camera, you know, because it was all via Zoom. So I was like pointing oh, at the goodness. She essentially boiled it down to me saying that we have these DIE initiatives, uh, right. we have these, you know, positions. We're talking about how we want to recruit more Black faculty, you know, more Black students. Right. This is not the way. <laughs> this yeah. is literally not the yes. way. Making a performative statement and then literally when the community calls you out and then you're like hiding comments or, you know, you have a meeting with the faculty and staff and then you're not addressing what's going on. That was really tough. So yeah. I just rambled a bit, but what would it happen? No, it's, I, it's all really important context, Victoria. It is okay. important context. Yeah. So what had happened that night is I was just crushed and a colleague of mine who's like a white gay male called me to figure out how I was feeling and we were just kind of discussing what was going on yeah. and I just started sobbing. So uh -huh. I decided that I was going to put my resume in in a couple of places just to kind of see, you know, what was available at that time because it was also May slash June. Yes. Yes. You know, school was ending so there were positions to, that were open. Um, and, and I stumbled across one and I put in my application and they literally five minutes later emailed me back and said, hey, you might be a better fit for that of a STEM coach. And after wow. doing more research on the organization, it, it is a literal like anti-racist equity organization. Uh -huh. um, so it's kind of like a liaison between the you know, district and technology initiatives. So I am you know, in this role where I'm a STEM coach and I'm talking about you know, math and science as a vehicle for equity, project-based learning as a vehicle for equity, mm -hmm. viewing math and science and technology and engineering under the lens of anti-racism, uh, you know, looking at what can be done to end carceral pedagogy in schools, you know, working with teachers to address these issues. It's a really good fit. So I was like, this is awesome. I'm totally going to apply for this. And by the end of the week, I had the job and I accepted the offer. So I feel like wow. it was fake that it happened so yes. quickly. Yes. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, feel, it feels that way. Definitely. Yeah. You needed sort of that, that kick to get you moving into that, that new space. And it sounds like you're, you're able to have discussions with your colleagues that uh, the fit really is better, that you're feeling although maybe you, you had this sense of a safe space in your previous school, it really, it really wasn't that way. And I think after you found out what was going on, that you felt more vulnerable uh, 
to, you know, and that space wasn't safe anymore. It didn't feel safe anymore. And that's probably what upset you the most. And so how does it feel now? Because you mentioned that you're able to have discussions with your colleagues. What's that like now? Yeah, the only word or adjective I feel like I could use to describe it is just electric. Mm -hmm. Like I am on a team with majority people of color, which is just something I don't feel I've ever had before. Um, and, and, and we have conversations that are like right off the bat when we arrive in the office, because we go in every Wednesday mm-hmm. and the rest of the days we're working from home, but we have conversations about equity. Uh, we, you know, we have conversations about gender roles. We have conversations about breastfeeding, you know, like we just have conversations and it's so nice to be on a team that just gets it, you know, like we yeah. just get it. Uh, we do have white folks on the team, but that's not a problem. I, I mean, it's not a problem inherently, but I love the fact that we, as a team, like we just jive so well and we just get it. Like we, we really understand the work that needs to be done, yeah. why it needs to be done, and also like what we can do moving forward. And even the teachers that I work with at my site, they're majority white teachers, which again is not a problem inherently, but what I love, love, love is that they are so committed to the equity aspect, you know, to looking at their um, instruction and curriculum through an anti-racist lens. And sometimes questions do pop up that spark discussion about things like this, which is awesome. And we're yeah. able to have civil discourse and really talk about why some practices are problematic for students of color, because the school is also majority students of color. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have these discussions and conversations because we want to make sure we have the best educational opportunities for our kids. You know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. So, I, so I love that I'm in a space where like as a professional, I can be my most authentic self. And I love that when I work with teachers and I work with kids, like that is shown a hundred percent. And we also have the opportunity to look at all of this through a lens of why is this wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, what can we do to make it better? Right. Uh, how can we, you know, um, enhance student voice in this space? Mm-hmm. And then also, how can we make sure that this continues? Yeah. Yeah, the whole idea of diversity within your, um, within your colleagues, you know, within your, your team is so important because, like you said, everybody comes at it from a different perspective. And by being able to really look at things as, as a whole, from those different perspectives, you know, perspective taking is so important in terms of, and that people are willing to, to learn from each other um, because obviously we don't know it all. So having that diversity really, really makes a difference uh, in moving, moving your system forward because, you know, you, you mentioned the carceral pedagogy, which I'd like to talk about a little bit more. Um, you mentioned in your background that you never had a black teacher. You were your first black teacher, basically. Mm-hmm. And you talk about um, uh, sort of dismantling the carceral pedagogy in order to be able to move things forward. And um, so I'd like to explore that a little bit in terms of what, how, how do you look at that? Um, what, what do you talk about or, you know, how do we push that? the systemic racism out the door? How do we get there? One of the things that I like talk about frequently, 
you know, whether it's like in a conference or just in regular conversations with teachers is like the whole concept of policing at its mm -hmm. core is about control, right? Like it is literally about control yes. and who has the power and who doesn't have the power. Right. And I did a guest blog for Paradeck not too long ago. And there's like a truck outside my house. I don't know. Uh, but uh, when we have things like class norms or class rules, that is already inherently creating a power imbalance because the teacher creates the rules and the students automatically have to agree. Versus if we have agreements or ideals, there's still gonna be a little bit of a power imbalance, but it's more 50-50 or maybe like 55-45 versus like 100 and zero. Mm -hmm. So that's one place that we can start, like including students as being part of that conversation. That's like bare minimum how we can start because for me rules are just the basic level of policing and these again are conversations about control and when we let go of that control for some teachers it's really scary yeah. and I've also observed not in my current role but in previous roles and also teaching in South Carolina teachers that are just so you know bent on keeping that control and it becomes a police state in the classroom. You know, before we even get into SROs and cops in schools, I mean, there are teachers who police things that are not, not even things that I would even consider. Things like when you can sharpen your pencil, you know, things like when you can talk to another student. Yeah. When we police little things like this, mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult to actually see what's the most important thing and the most important thing is the learning of the students right. so for me if I'm in an educator's room and if I see the policing of things like the sharpening of the pencil or you know like the getting up because you need to stretch that's not a room that I as a student would feel comfortable in right. and that's where that system comes into play because of that power dynamic we also have to be cognizant of the fact that around 80% of teachers are white women mm -hmm. and not knocking white women, but there are inherent biases and things that are there that need to be unpacked, right? That's true. If you're yeah. a white woman, and if you're teaching in a majority you know, school mm -hmm. of students of color, that's a lot to unpack there. And one of my friends, I mean, I guess I can call her an acquaintance now because we haven't talked in a while, but she totally played the saviorship card so many times. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a white teacher in a majority school of students of color. Like, I teach all black kids and I think that this should happen and this should happen and my kids can't do X, Y, Z. Are, like, and, and it gets to a point where I had to tell her, I'm like, are you teaching or are you just maybe not understanding what's going on right now? You know, she had a moment where she legitimately told me that she didn't believe that science and social studies should be taught until sixth or seventh grade because her students were so behind in math and ELA that she oh thought that that was focus. And again, that's another form of policing, right? You're not understanding and not realizing how things like science and social studies can be interdisciplinary, yeah. how they can be incorporated in that space. Yeah. Like there are people that just don't get it. So yeah. I'm glad to finally be at an organization that does get it, <laughs> but yes. the work that I do to dismantle that literally starts at, at baseline, like how I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. Because if I have teachers that are asking me, hey, why is it not appropriate for me to ask my students to turn their cameras on? Then we can't get to the nitty gritty until you understand that basic level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I've, I've actually, you know, been a principal 
and at, in the elementary level, and mm. also director at a pre-college um, intensive uh, courses level, bridge courses. And I've encountered teachers who have been extremely resistant to giving up that control. And it's, it's really difficult for them to see the other side of it, uh, even, even with technology and all of that. So you're right. The first thing that we need to do is, a, is address that feeling of losing control. You can't do project-based learning. You can't do the kinds of things that you need to do. Uh, introduce subjects, like you mentioned, social studies and science. I also had that attitude, you know, these, these English language learners are so far behind. Like, you know, I once stood up in front of a, a group of 100 teachers and I said, uh, who three, only three of them had any kind of ESL background. And I said, you know, just because your students are ESL doesn't mean they're stupid. Right, exactly. And, and they all just kind of looked at me. I think they were shocked. But it, it's true, you know, we need to sort of relax a little bit. And I know that's difficult to do when you're trying to control 25, 30, 35 students. And especially if they're, you know, in a Zoom space. So I understand that. So how do you recommend to them, um, what kinds of technologies do you recommend to them in terms of giving choice and voice um, how do you, because they need to let go slowly. They, 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 they don't understand or it's too scary for them to sort of let go all at once. So how do you begin to introduce that to them in order for them to let go of that control? Because if you're talk, talking carceral pedagogy and the whole control issue, if we don't remove that, the system is never going to change, right? Right. So my largest tip just to begin is Tech tools can be kind of overwhelming, especially yeah. for teachers that are not um, well-versed in tech. You know, there are some that definitely prefer paper pencil and that's fine. Yeah. But now that we're in this virtual world, we've got to get hip to understanding how tech can help us and also our students. So right. tip number one is just that we can't get bogged down. There are a lot of different tools that are available. Just find the ones, especially if you're new, find the ones that work for you right. and then you can take it from there. So I, um, I mean, I say on Twitter all the time, I love Pear Deck. Um, I am a huge, huge, huge Pear Deck advocate um, for a lot of different reasons, but the two largest are the fact that it has SEL templates and SEL is of course that social emotional learning, things right. like stress checks, uh, things like take three breaths, you know, before you enter the room, yeah. things like, um, you know, uh, so there's like an active listening template Right. where you speak with a partner in a breakout room or maybe in a classroom, you rate the listening, I think it's three times if I'm remembering correctly, um, and then they do the same to you and then you can go back and, and, and rate it. Wow. So it's like a nice space for that SEL mm -hmm. and that critical thinking lens. Yeah. But of course they also have templates for like math and science and social studies and mm -hmm. You know, they've also got some for like kindergarten through second grade, which is really nice for those that teach younger children. Yeah. And I really like the fact that when we're talking about like dismantling some of this stuff, part of the problem is that we don't have sustained inquiry. And I find this a lot in lessons with teachers that I've worked with in the past where it's like, here's the lesson, that's it. Here's the next lesson, that's it. With yeah. sustained inquiry, we can have these guiding questions and driving questions and really consider how this looks over the big picture. 
And I think Pear Deck is really good for that and also for giving feedback. Yeah. Uh, so that's my Pear Deck advocacy. I know you are also a Buncee ambassador, just like myself. Yes. I love Buncee and I love just the creativity aspect of it and how it's a space for students to be creative safely. Yes. And it also gives an opportunity to explore concepts like this and have mm -hmm. that tech element as well. Right. So another thing that I work on, um, especially within my organization is, you know, we have an expectation that kids are going to be digital natives. It, it mm -hmm. is kind of being thrown around. Yeah. That's not case um, and, and then unfortunately the expectations that we have for the kids even if we dismantle those they're already in place when they go off to work with their employers you know employers expect for kids to be proficient in word or powerpoint or google drive and sometimes they're just not because they haven't been exposed to it and they don't know how to use it proficiently yeah they so know I what they know <laughs> exactly so i like that buncy gives the opportunity for that creativity in that space and is also integrated with a lot of different tools yes. that, that already exist. Yeah. 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 And I love Buncee. Um, actually, I know I, I haven't used Pear Deck, um, but uh, I, I know a little bit about it and I know a little bit about their community. Pear Deck and Buncee and some of the other uh, communities are just so such great spaces for mm -hmm. sharing ideas and um, sort of that professional belonging that, that I like to talk about. And so mm -hmm. I know that you're really active uh, in, with Pear Deck and Buncee and also on Twitter, uh, which is another great way to, to grow your you know, professional <laughs> learning network. And I, you know, being so far away, but even if we're, we have professional development around us, just having people that we can sort of learn from is, is so important. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I like the fact that I've learned so much from you on, on Twitter and, and through the other, the other um, spaces. So um, I hate to say that we're, we're almost finished because I've, I've <laughs> loved this conversation so much. Um, any other advice or things that you really want to make sure that, that people know about or things that you're, you're into or feel are really important that you want uh, advice that you want to give the, the listeners? Well, going off of what you were saying before, especially with regard to Twitter and just finding online communities, it is so important to have that space. And I think that sometimes in schools, you know, I work in schools, you work in schools. It is really um, easy to get stuck in that bubble, right? Where you've got yes. your team, you've got your department. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you love your team. But I love seeking external opinions and just outside advice and right. looking for spaces that push my thinking. Mm -hmm. I think as a whole, that honestly makes us better educators in the long run. Yeah. And I've had conversations with folks that, Personally, like when I was in South Carolina, I definitely wouldn't have had the option for, you know, I was on a, on a staff and in a department where we had lots of faculty of color. Uh, to my knowledge, I was the only gay and out faculty though. Mm -hmm. So I was searching for online like LGBT teacher communities to have that space because I definitely wasn't going to find it in the space that I was, at least not openly. Mm -hmm. 
that was really good. Yeah. And then moving to Seattle where the environment and the climate is a little bit different. I'm way more immersed in the tech aspect and I'm also closer like physically to the proximity. So it has been really nice to build up those communities. So I think my biggest advice in that space is these communities are out there. They're yes. trustworthy, uh, they're accepting, they're welcoming. And Twitter, I think, for educators is a really cool space, you know, to connect with folks and find that. I've had, like, okay success on LinkedIn, but I do find that Twitter is the space where a lot of educators tend to hang out. So if you can get on Twitter and if you can, you know, start joining these communities or even just looking for other viewpoints to broaden your view, it will make you a better educator in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, I found LinkedIn uh, a little bit more to uh, difficult to navigate in Me terms too. of having a conversation. Um, but I, I know I see people who do it successfully, but I haven't really sat down and studied how they do it. I was a lurker for a long time on Twitter. That's how I learned how to do what, <laughs> what I do and, and sort of made me feel safer sort of getting out there. So uh, perhaps an investment in time in LinkedIn would be helpful. But for now, I think, uh, I think Twitter is, is my favorite space, uh, as you mentioned. So uh, this has been really, really enjoyable. I, as I said, I, I really learned a lot, Victoria, and I always learn from you. Um, what's, where's the best places or place to find you uh, if uh, people wanna hop off and after they hear your, uh, the uh, podcast and, and look for you? Yes, so Twitter is by far where I'm the most active and it's at Victoria the Tech. Um, is the Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. On Twitter, I have the link to my website and that's where I keep my blog. You know, that's where I kind of keep the sessions I run and the workshops that I do. They're specifically related to anti-racism and equity in STEM and also just in the tech field at large. Uh, Cause I do consult for quite a few large companies that are in the Seattle area. So that's there as well. Um, and if I'm not on LinkedIn all that much as we've just touched, but if anybody would like to connect with me on LinkedIn, it's my full name, Victoria Rose Thompson, and links to that are also in my website as well. Okay, that's awesome, and all of that will also be in my show notes, so I'll make sure that Great. everybody can find you that way. Victoria, again, thank you so much for, for being on my podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Eileen. This was wonderful. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Journeys to Belonging, um, and the next episode will be out in two weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with me on Twitter at Eileen Winokur, I-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-O-K-U-R, or on Instagram at Eileen underscore W. And you can also find my blog uh, at the website https colon forward slash forward slash cultures dot build see you in two weeks